This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter here, and this is Shack Talk, ice fishing podcast. We are here, and uh, we're going to jump right into a destination segment, which I think is going to be a whole lot of fun. We've got a good friend of ours here, Joe Henry, Lake of the Woods Tourism. And I know that a whole lot of folks listening to the podcast here know about Lake of the Woods. They probably spend a lot of time on Lake of the Woods themselves. They've probably been there and and experienced what an incredible fishery this place is. But we're going to have Joe on and talk a little bit about what's going on up there this year, because there's some pretty, pretty neat things happening Joe, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Great having you here. Just maybe to start with, Joe, uh, you are involved in in promoting Lake of the Woods. You're involved in, in a lot of the uh, the resorts, a lot of the tourist activities up there. Share with the listeners of the podcast here just a little bit about what your role is um, yeah. and how you kind of interface with those different organizations. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, so you know, I'm the executive director of tourism for Lake of the Woods, and uh, you know, Lake Lake of the Woods tourism consists of about 60 lodging facilities in Lake of the Woods, Minnesota, around the lake, and that would include everything from sleeper fish house businesses to hotels to the the, the resorts. Uh, ba- basically, in a nutshell, that geography encompasses, you know, um, east of Bedette to um, to Clemson to the uh, the falls there, all the way through Bedette, all the way along the south shore. And then um, up through the Northwest Angle. It's interesting. The only part of the lake that I really don't um, uh, have jurisdiction to because it's not Lake of the Woods County is that little corner of War Road. Because War Road actually is Roseau County. Isn't that so interesting? That, it is. It, 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 so very friendly, great neighbors. You know, we, we do some things together occasionally and stuff. But, I mean, it's just interesting. Geography, everything. And, and the lake, all the water technically is Lake of the Woods County. Wow. So it's just kind of interesting. But so it's, it's a big, obviously my destination is really, really related to fishing. And, and of course, I'm an angler myself. I fish tournaments. I'm a licensed charter captain. And, you know, and then, you know, um, just like you guys do with your work, you know, you try to leverage your skills to better your market. So you're really a, a tourism bureau is really considered a DMO, a destination marketing organization. Our job is to, to really get the word out about, you know, Lake of the Woods and with an ultimate goal, I mean, technically of people coming up to visit because like any, any destination, when people come to visit, you know, that fuels the economy, uh, not only the, the hotels and resorts, but also restaurants, bars, fishing guides, hardware stores, gasoline, you get it. So, uh, so that's my role. And, you know, I, uh, we, 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 we buy advertising, we do television shows, I write articles, um, we do a lot of video, a lot of social media, you know, some of it is advertising, but really, um, I, I think by educating people and helping them understand the body of water and how uh, the different species and the different patterns, I think that goes a long ways in giving people confidence to come to Lake of the Woods and, you know, whether it's summer, you know, spring, su- uh, summer, fall, spring, winter, whatever, um, it gives them confidence to come up and give it a shot. And, you know, one thing about Lake of the Woods once you come up a couple of times, you're going to have some kind of level of success. It kind of keeps you coming back. 
Well, you know, if you just think about that body of water, Joe, and, and you do a, a marvelous job at, at your role, you are you are the face of, of Lake of the Woods and, and a lot of those businesses and, and those people that are the hard workers behind those businesses. Yeah. And if you just think about Lake of the Woods, though, what a storied historical body of water. I would be hard pressed to find anybody who, who's at all connected to ice fishing in their life to think that they didn't have a, a father or, or an uncle or a grandfather that wouldn't tell a story about back when they went to Lake of the Woods. And it's, it's not a, you know, kind of fad destination. This is a tried and true, incredible fishery. You know, I'll tell you, you know, and, and of course I'm, I'm probably a little biased, you know, and I get, uh, but, but you know, a little biased uh, when the fishing's as good as it is, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know what? Uh, I kid all my buddies. I'm like, huh, I'm not very good, man. I have to have a destination like Lake Lewis. Otherwise, nobody would come, you know? But, <laughs> That's but, you, um, <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, um, Lake of the Woods is just so interesting. You know, um, it's, it's stained water. There's millions of walleyes. On top of the walleyes, you have saugers. So what does that mean? Well, first off, because of the stained waters, the walleyes and saugers bite during the day. Well, for most human beings who are awake during the day, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Certainly, certainly helps with our resorts. Because, you know, with our resorts, especially for the day houses, you know, you take people out in the morning, they fish all day long, you bring them back in around 4.30 when it starts getting dark out. Well, not, not only that's when the fish bite, that's the target window, but then you bring them back in, you clean their fish for them. If, if you want, the resorts will cook them for you. Well, now, you know, instead of limiting our fishery to really hardcore anglers like us, which is a sliver of the pie, because of the full-service resorts, because they've taken all the work out of it, when it's 25 below, 30 below zero outside, you literally can walk out to heated ice transportation or drive your own vehicle right to the door of a heated fish house. The holes are drilled. The fish house is on fish. And then at the end of the day, they'll, they, because they've taken the work out of it, now we've just opened that that window of opportunity for people to just about everybody, even people that don't fish very much can have a good time on Lake of the Woods because of the work of these ice guides and resorters. And I'm not, it's the same on other lakes, other ice belt lakes too, but these hard work and resorters, don't you guys think about when it's 30 below, how there's people out there firing up the ice transportation, you know, cleaning holes, moving houses, making sure customers are safe, making sure that they have what they need, checking house to house. When it's 30 below and you're bundled up and then you're going into warm fish house talking to customers, then you're going back into the cold again. Monday, I just think they, they're unsung heroes is what they are. They are, Joe, and you know as well as I do, and, and same with our listeners, when do things break, right? It's typically not at 20 above. And those guys are out there making sure that everything is taken care of. And, and if anything does go wrong, they've, they've got it fixed before. Most of those customers even know it happened. Well, how about this one? How about when you're using an ice short in the morning, you know, do, do most people realize that while you're still sleeping, there's somebody out there driving out of ice road to make sure that nothing's happened overnight? Absolutely. And if you think about it too, I mean, you know, all these people are fishing and for anybody that has been to Lake of the Woods, hasn't been to Lake of the Woods, it's not just a few ice houses that they're servicing. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of ice houses that these guides and resorts are servicing on a day-to-day -day basis. A lot, a lot of houses out there, and uh, it is, it is. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, even even when there's a lot of houses, there's so much water. Like, you know, when you think of Lake of the Woods, you guys, um, for people that don't know the body of water, I, I try to explain it in three ways. 
you know, you know, number one, the rainy river that feeds Lake of the Woods. And that in its own right is a good fishery. In fact, they're, they're ice, some of the locals are ice fishing now and pulling some pretty good walleyes out of there. Um, then you have the great big open water of Big Traverse Bay. That's the big basin. That's, you know, 30 miles north-south by 25 miles east-west. Huge water. And then you have that little tip of Minnesota that sticks up into Canada, and that's called the Northwest Angle. That's the northernmost point of the contiguous United States. And that's really where the 14,552 islands of our lake begin. So those are the three different areas. And, you know, we fish all, all of them. We fish the Rainy River. Uh, we don't fish a lot in the winter just because there's current. we got to be real careful. But locals do, and they do okay in there, you know. Um, but, but otherwise, in the spring and fall in that Rainy River, or in the summer if it's a blow day, we can get in that river, and there's always local populations of walleyes that live there. Then you got Big Traverse. It's like a big aquarium. The deepest spot on Big Traverse is like 37 or 38 feet deep. That means the whole thing is full of life. And, uh, you know, Anthony, you know this too. Uh, when you troll out there in the summertime, it's like you're watching um, simulation mode on electronics at uh, your favorite retailer. You know what? You're seeing school bait, school bait, school bait, hook, 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 hook. And what blows me away is there's times where you can troll through all those fish and not get bit. Until you Absolutely. get the right wobble, the right speed, the right color pattern. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? So it just, it's just kind of neat. And then, of course, that angle, that's where all the structure starts. That's where you got reefs, underwater points. You know, we have neck down areas. We have current going through. Um, it just, it's just a whole different lake up there. So it's just really kind of a neat fishery, you know. You talked about this angle a little bit, and I know we were talking before the podcast, but typically, for those that maybe aren't familiar with it, in the wintertime, the only way to drive up there is through Canada. So maybe that limited people, but there's something new this year that kind of stemmed from the pandemic. Yeah, good good lead in. <laughs> but you know what? You're exactly right. So um, it, when the pandemic hit um, in back in you know mid-March of 2020, um, the U.S.-Canada border was shut down. And to, to get to the Northwest Angle by vehicle, you have to drive through 40 miles of Manitoba and then enter back into the United States up at the Northwest Angle. Well, the border was shut. So we got about a dozen resorts up there. And you can imagine their lifeline of, to their customers has just been cut off. Now, in the summertime, people can still get, stay in Minnesota and go across Big Traverse Bay. But that's a 40-mile boat ride across basically a great lake. Most people don't have the boat or the know-how or the courage to go do that. You know, you got to know what you're doing. So it really, really limited the number of people that could go up this, this open water season. Nobody thought that this would last into the winter. And here we are with a closed border. So with, with that being said, we were facing, you know, cancellations of reservations and really a very, very bleak winter season. So the Northwest Angle Resorters came together and they, they put their heads together and they said, you know what? we got to make this happen. So they came up with the Northwest Angle Guest Ice Road. And what it is, it's a 30-mile long road, 22 miles of ice, 8 miles through a forest. It's 30 miles long of a road they've never had before. Now, that, that's a lifeline of people to be able to drive up in their vehicles, stay in Minnesota, and get to those resorts up there. Now, now I'll tell you, it's interesting. Um, when, when, when there was Zoom calls going on in the evenings back in October creating this thing, you have a bunch of resorters that, yeah, some of them are friends, some of them are, they're all competitors in a way. Right. But they all had to put their differences aside and come together and unite. Their backs are against the wall. 
They came together, and these are hardworking small business people caught between two countries during a pandemic. They put their differences aside. They, they made a game plan. They took a leap of faith. They all had to put in seed money into this thing because it's expensive. It, it ends up costing about 1500 bucks a mile to have and maintain an ice road for the winter. So they put in a bunch of money in the front end and started plowing this thing. Before the first car ever hit that road, they had over 200 hours into it, over $30,000 invested into creating that ice road. And uh, I'm happy to say, and we, we didn't start it till about the 18th of January. So like one resorter said, he says, you know, this is so encouraging. I have hope again. Wow. He says, but I will say, even if we hit a home run, normally I would have had 50% of my revenue for the winter in already. So it's not perfect, but I'll tell you what, it's giving people hope. It's getting customers out there. And you know what? Uh, we got a, we got an ice fishing business right now going on up there. And I'll tell you that ice fishing business wouldn't be happening if uh, these people wouldn't have come together and uh, made it happen. It's cool. It's really neat. It's a feel good story. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And hopefully this cold weather will just extend that ice season. I mean, the great thing about Lake of the Woods is to those that don't fish it, it's a border water. So that season does stay open a lot longer. So let's hope that that road is safe and navigable all the way until the end of the season. Well, you're, you're, you're spot on, Anthony. And you know what, uh, you know, with Lake of the Woods, because we are border water, fish houses can be overnight on the ice through March. On top of it, our walleye season goes to April 14th. Our pike season is continuous and never closes. So we really, with this cold weather, we're building that ice cube. And the reason you want that ice cube to build is because if we get some sun in March, you want that ice to last so we can fish through March. And it's looking pretty darn good now. Boy, I tell you, it wasn't looking real good early with that mild weather we had. But you know what? It's been 20 below for a long time now, and it's in the forecast in the future. So, hey, you can't control Mother Nature. We'll take it. That ice has got to be just banging up there. I mean, for as cold as it's been, for as long as it's been, man, she's got to be making a lot still. Yeah, we're over 24 inches in most places now, and she's still growing, so we'll take her. You know, and, and the other thing, too, is when you plow that ice road, you got the snow off of it, so that cold can penetrate further and, and make it even thicker. So, you know, we're hoping that really lasts. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think things are kind of coming together. And, uh, you know, one of the things I mentioned to you guys is hope. You know, as human beings, you know, if we have hope, it sure makes things better in our lives. And, you know, when, when you get a Northwest Angle Resort owner saying, you know what, even when we started the meetings back in the fall about, about this concept, one of them said in one of the first meetings, for the first time in months, I have hope. Well, that's huge, you know. That's amazing, Joe, truly. When you think about the isolation that that group of folks had for, I mean, as you're telling that story, Joe, I'm sitting there thinking, not just how did they get customers up in that early part of border closure, but how did they get food? How did they get supplies? How did they get all the necessities to continue on just living, let alone running a business? Well, you know, it's interesting because they, they were so, uh, if you have, if your driver's license says that your address is from up there, which would say Angle Inlet, Minnesota, if your driver's license says that, then then you can go across the border down to either War Road or Roseau for essential groceries and medical. So the, the residents could cross it's the, the any any non-essential travel like like they considered you know uh, a tourist or, or or media. There's some media that wanted to go up there. They won't let media go up there. They're non-essential, but but you you could go back for those needs you know back and forth. So thank goodness on that one, Kyle. But their their revenue stream was cut off, and it was tough. You know what's interesting about that is 
there, there is some of our, some of the resorters and there, there's, you know, these are good, hardworking resorters. They're nice people. You know, um, a few of them mentioned to me, they said, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I go, what's that? And they said, you know, we have a whole, every week we got a whole bunch of trucks coming in from Manitoba into the angle. And I said, really, what's that all about? Well, they're doing a municipal project across the inlet in band 33, which are some of the natives in Canada. And, you know, we have a very good relationship with all of our neighbors and, and they're doing a huge municipal multi-million dollar municipal project over there. So we have these people from Manitoba, these essential workers going home to their families on weekends, socializing and everything. And then they all come back here and they eat and they drink. And well, nobody did anything or said anything because we want to be welcoming. However, why, why is their business essential? But my customers that come up that are my revenue stream, how come they're not essential? And, you know, when you talk about it, it's, you know, we, 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 we reached out to our federal politicians to, at the time it was Colin Peterson and Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Tina Smith. And, you know, they reached out to Canadian counterparts with no, no response, tr trying to get an asterisk for that 40 mile stretch. You know, quite frankly, you can go through that 40 mile stretch and, you can, there's one little town of Sprague, Manitoba, you can actually drive around it. And the majority of it is just bush. You might go through, you go by 30 or 40 driveways, your whole stretch that are, the last time I checked, you know, COVID doesn't go through a window. That's so right. You have a car. So, and then we brought up ideas like back 30, 40 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, we had some examples of commercial fishermen up at the Northwest Angle that Canadians were skittish about them bringing their fish through the, through Canada. So what they did is they paid the Canadian customs for a pilot car and that pilot car would lead them through Canada, bring them to the border. And when they came back, they paid, they paid that pilot car. Why don't we have pilot cars? We got a one in front, one in back. We'll pay you. We'll go back and forth twice a day. You know what I mean? What about, what if we'd use GPS devices? What if we would have people go through and when they get up to Jim's corner up in the U S side, they'd have to call and check in. You could even time it. So we came up with everything, but to no avail. They just didn't want to play ball. So, and, and I respect it, but it's frustrating because it would be so easy. It's not like they're going through a big city. You know what I'm saying? Right. And this is people's livelihood. This is people's uh, means of, of sustaining their their way of life, right? And, and um, yeah, I can see the frustration in that. Amazing that, um, obviously, there was a lot of work that went in behind the scenes, a lot of those discussions. And, and you know what? One thing I, I've learned through this whole pandemic is that people are resilient. People yep. are able to be creative and find ways to get things done. And this ice road is certainly an example of that. Well, I'll tell you another one, another good one. You want to talk about the pandemic creating winners and losers. On the south end of Lake of the Woods, our resorts are doing quite well. I mean, it's, it, you know, we all know that during the pandemic, outdoor recreation and fishing was very popular because you could social distance naturally and you're getting, you're getting out of the house, you're enjoying yourselves. You can, it's, it's, it fits right up at the Northwest. So you get people down here actually doing pretty darn good on the South end of Lake, you get the Northwest angle, they're starving. So you want to talk about winners and losers. Heck we got them on the same lake. Completely opposite scenarios from one side of that body of water to the other. Yep. And I think too, a good point to make to our listeners is for people that are interested in Lake of the Woods as a destination, um, you know, people might ask, well, what's so different about the Northwest Angle? And for somebody that's been up there as much as I have, it's a completely different 
environment when you're up on the Northwest Angle. I mean, you get the Canadian feel of the Shield Lakes and the islands and all of those different things with the, the different type of uh, landscape up there. And the fishing's pretty good as well, but it's just a totally different feel. And for somebody looking for a trip or a destination, I would you know, highly suggest trying to get up there. I mean, take advantage of the road if that's something that you've never been able to do because you had to go through Canada. I know there's people that don't have passports or maybe can't travel across the border. I mean, I think this is a great opportunity for them to take advantage of that. Well, and, and we, we, very good point. Very good point. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, uh, um, there, there is there, there are two snowmobile trails that go up there, 42 miles across the lake. They're groomed and staked. They have a uh, Lake of the Woods passenger service, which is a bombardier service that goes out of Sportsman's Lodge. You know, now you got to pay, obviously, it costs a fee, but you take a bomber up and back, you know, when, when it's time. And then uh, the, the other way now is uh, um, Lake Country Air. So there's a flying service that goes up there and now lands on the ice. And, of course, in the summer, they'll help floats. So there, there are some other ways, but, you know, those other ways are a little spendier. They're not as convenient. You know, driving up your own vehicle with your own crew, with your own equipment, you know, up at, up at the angle. You can drive right to your cabin. Even if you're on an island resort, you can drive the Flag Islander out, out to Oak Island. We have ice roads going around those islands and going right up to your resort. You can literally drive right up to that island or right up to your cabin. It makes it really convenient. Um, and then, you know, it, Anthony, you've been up there. I mean, uh, it's kind of neat too because every resort has its own culture. Some have bars and restaurants. The food's good there. Everybody has a different menu. Some of them don't have a bar and restaurant, but really cute cabins with good cooking facilities. It kind of, to each your own, you know? Absolutely. You got to hop around to the different resorts, try the different food, different menus. I mean, I've eaten at every one of them, or the main ones up there on the different islands, and they've got something different every night, and you got to try their specials. Um, it's always something fun, and it's not that inconvenient. Like you said, you can go from resort to resort in your vehicle. It takes 10 minutes to be like driving across town to a different restaurant or bar. You know, you got, uh, so you got up there, you got uh, on the mainland, um, in the wintertime, about eight of the 12 resorts are operating in the winter. So on the mainland, you got, uh, which is called Angle Inlet, you got uh, Angle Outpost, you got Jake's Northwest Angle, and then you have Young's Bay Resort. Now, th those, they don't have their bar, they don't have a bar and restaurant, but adjacent to them, real close, is Jerry's Bar and Restaurant on the mainland. It's a great place, excellent food. Then when you go out on the islands, you got, on Flag Island, you got Flag Island Resort. Awesome, awesome resort, of course. Awesome. And then you get to Oak Island, and then you got um, Walsh's Bay Store Camp. Now, they're they're right next door to Sunset Lodge. Walsh's doesn't have a bar and restaurant. Cute resort, famous for their, their musky fishing. They do a heck of a job of ice fishing. And then you got Sunset Lodge. Sunset's a big, beautiful resort, creates great bar and restaurant. And then when you go around the corner, you got Sportsman's Oak Island, and you have Angle Inn Lodge. And... Uh, you know, all of those places are fun. And, um, you know, you, like you said, Anthony, it is kind of fun making the rounds and stopping at a, you know, a couple different resorts at night, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, let's, uh, how we're Flag Island, let's buzz over to Sunset. Then what we'll do is we'll slide around to, to uh, Sportsman's Lodge. Then we better go say hi to Deb and Tony at England. Yeah? Just, just to make the rounds, we want to be social, right? Exactly. So for people, you know, that are looking to get more information, obviously they can look up those resorts online, but do you guys have, as part of the tourism, have information available for them that's maybe a little bit easier to access to see the different options? Yeah, we, we sure do. We have, um, we have all of our lodging 
broken down by geography. So we have all of our Northwest Angle resorts in one area. And, you know, if you go to, to Lake of the Woods, mn.com and just go to the lodging tab, you're going to have your choice of, you know, uh, Northwest Angle resorts, South Shore resorts, and Rainy River resorts. And of course, you know, we're talking about the angle. I'll tell you what, you know, we're talking a lot about the angle and that's awesome. And they need all the help they can get. I'll tell you what though, there are still some uh, openings um, this time of year and also heading into March for our South Shore resorts. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like fishing that big basin. You know, you, we, we're getting a lot of big headed ones coming through. And I'm talking about big headed ones. I'm talking 28 to 32 inches. And in uh, a lot of slots, a lot of slot fish. Uh, you know, uh, those a lot of those bigger walleyes that are coming through right now, well, you better have some electronics because they're coming through suspended. And you know why they're suspended, don't you? I know you're after that bait. They're eating. They're, they're after those tulabies. Yep. You know, when, when, those, when a walleye in Lake of the Woods, it takes a walleye 10 years to become 25 inches long. That's five pounds. It takes another 10 years for that fish to grow to, to uh, 30 inches. And that 30 inches is uh, going to be more of your, what, sorry, the phone, 10, that 10 pounder. So 10 years to 25 inches, 20 years, it's 30 inches. It's only five inches, but it doubled in size. Amazing. So that's, it is amazing. And then, you know, and when, I think when that's the attraction. 20, yeah. When I was going to say, that's the attraction of coming up there is you, you got so many, so much potential for that big caliber of fish. Well, and you know, you always have a chance for a big one. You always do. And, uh, you know, the other thing too is when a fish, on, uh, when a walleye on Lake of the Woods becomes about 25 inches, that's when their diet kind of starts shifting over to, uh, to tulabies. And, you know, most of our tulabies are going to be offshore. And that's why those, a lot of the fish are caught out in the middle of the big traverse because that's where those tulabies are living, you know. But, but it's very true. You, and it's funny. You could be catching small fish and this, that, dinking around there. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you see a line come in. That line looks a little bigger on the electronics. And you set that hook. It's like, oh, man, what is that? You don't know if it's going to be a big walleye, a big pout, big pike, sturgeon. Could be any of them. Any of the above, right? Well, and it happens thing. all the time, you know? Yeah, we talked a lot about the walleye fishing. I mean, we're starting to just roll into the corner here of the prime time for that big pike fishing, too. Did, did you see, um, I shared a Target walleye post of that big pike they caught on Lake of the Woods this week with that big lamprey on it? Yep. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. just, first off, that pike was huge. I don't know if it's a 44 or 45 incher. And, you know, everybody, so here's the deal with pike on Lake of the Woods. Everybody tip-up fishes in March. And pike don't school, but what happens is in March, they start getting congregated together because they're out in their areas out in front of the spawning grounds. Well, actually in February, a lot of the hardcore pike owners will start fishing them in February because there's a really good bite going on actually right now in many places. So they, they target them with tip-ups. And if you notice that picture, you guys, that uh, the bait he was using was a great big Cisco or tulabie because you can see that big forked tail sticking out of the mouth of that pike. And then there's a great big lamprey hanging off that plate. This is a big lamprey, one of the bigger ones I've seen. Wow. And oh, isn't yeah, that absolutely. something when you when you see those lamprey up there? Because that's not something you see really too often in, in a lot of the other bodies of water, uh, at, at least around where, where I'm at, where Anthony's at. But um, they're part of the ecosystem. They're part of the, the natural environment there. And occasionally you're going to get a fish that has one of those attached right on to them. Even, even the big walleye, some of the big walleye as well, too. You know what I'm saying? So you'll, you'll catch fish with those on. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You get them, they're kind of weird. You know, like a lot of times when you get them on a big walleye and a boat, you know, you'll catch that walleye, you'll scoop it up in the net, and you bring that walleye, and it has that lamprey, and you're kind of looking at it, and a lot of times it'll detach. Yep, exactly. And you look at their mouth, and their mouth is round with almost like a, it's like a suction cup with needles. 
you know, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're going onto a host and ultimately depleting them of, so, yep. but it's just kind of an, again, it's kind of an ecosystem. Where else do you get lampreys? It's in the big lakes like Erie and well, Lake of the Woods, you know, Lake of the Woods. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. You say, well, I mean, uh, the, the big headed fish, right? Because before we recorded tonight, Joe, I, I was um, I was in town. I stopped by. I stopped by the church, right? And I stopped by the church, and and you don't always think about talking fishing there, but all of a sudden, someone grabbed me and said, "Hey, I got to show you this." And and one of their friends had just been up, and it was a gal, a group of women who went up, and and they had never been to Lake of the Woods before, and she pulls the picture up, and here is this great big head, great big belly, had to have been 30, 31 inch walleye, first trip up there. Yeah. <laughs> a memory that's going to last their lifetime. It was it awesome. certainly spoiled her. Well, it did spoil her, yes. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> they'll be back. Well, you know, I, the, the one story I think is so funny is, uh, so so Lake of the Woods has the privilege of having the last two state record eel pout. And I don't know if you saw the eel pout we posted earlier, but uh, earlier in the year I got a phone call from uh, Cyrus Resort, and they're like, Joe, we got, a, we got an angler in one of our houses that has a big pout. We think it might be a state record. So, of course, I lined up the DNR. We went to the state certified scale and everything, and it was only 17 pounds. Well, the state record on Lake of the Woods is 19 and a half. This thing was huge, you know. So uh, that's kind of cool. But the funny story I always think about is I was at one of those sports shows, and uh, these uh, these young guys were uh, talking to me about Lake of the Woods fishing, and they told me how the year before it was the first time they'd ever gone to Lake of the Woods, and they were in a sleeper fish house on Lake of the Woods. And one of the guys caught an eel pout. And of course, when you pull the pout up, you know, they never go straight for a picture. They're always curling up and they say they curl around your arm, but they don't really curl around your arm. They just, they're all squiggly and slimy and they like a snake, right? That's right. But the funny part of what it was, he says, you know, uh, he says, I got to tell you, that eel pout really freaked me out, man. It really did. So I went to bed that night and I was on the top bunk and I was sleeping on that top bunk and I was thinking about that eel pout and I, I couldn't go to sleep. So finally what I did is I... I got down from my bunk and I put covers on all the holes and went back to bed. <laughs> well, you sure. know, they're not really going to come after the, they're not going to come out of ice after you, but it was just kind of a funny story. I thought. I love it. <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> you know, we did see, I did see a, a Facebook photo this week. Actually, uh, there was a really big eel pout that the ice was clear on Lake of the woods where they were fishing. They could see through days pretty good. You know, it melts, you know, cause the fish house is on top of it. So it gets clear and, but they could see through and there was a big eel pout right below the ice. And it was there for like a, a five minutes, but it was eating a small sauger. Oh, that so floated up underneath the ice. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is, you know, when you're catching a lot of small fish, not every one of them makes it. And some of them, you know, they might swim down, but if they don't make it because you're in deep water, or whatever, they might float up against the bottom of the ice. That's also why every once in a while you hear an ice angler telling you how they're looking down their hole and all of a sudden, whoa, big pike went underneath. Well, they're scavengers. They're picking off those dead uh, small walleyes and saugers. Easy meals. Yeah, we, we've been in 30 feet of water, and we, we had a flasher go across the floor of the fish house. Here, a big pike grabbed the transducer, and it was right below the ice. No way. Yep. Seriously. 33 feet of water. Well, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because if it grabbed the transducer, you, you know, you wonder if that's not putting off some vibration because, you know, the ping, you know, yep. that they can hear. So it's, it's Well, that cool. or they just thought it was an easy meal. Yeah, yeah, it was hanging there. Yeah, yeah, that's so that was pretty interesting. But yeah, there's so many opportunities up at Lake of the Woods. I know it's one of my favorite bodies of water. I get the opportunity and had the opportunity to fish it, you know, for many years, and it's one of my destinations that I feel pretty lucky to be able to get to go to quite often. But 
for anybody that's looking for a destination, maybe your plans changed this year and you weren't able to go on a vacation or something, I highly recommend it. I know Joe, you would too, to, to take a look at what they have to offer up there. We've got the season that goes hopefully well into the end of March and early April. And, you know, once that season kind of maybe slows down a little bit, then we've got the rainy river run coming up too. That's, that's a great run in April. You know, b- back in the day, well before I was tourism director, I started fishing the uh, Lake of the Woods, and I thought to myself, you know, I've been up here twice now, caught a lot of walleyes, caught a couple of big walleyes. Where else can I do this? If I'm going to load up my vehicle and take the days off, why not drive a couple extra hours and have a potential world-class experience? And that's kind of why I kept going up there. And then, of course, it grew, and I started fishing tournaments, so I really learned the lake. And, oh, man, and then, then you really get bit. When you realize some of the spots that are off the radar screen that uh, nobody fishes, that there's a lot of fish in, it's like, oh, my Lord, if you only knew. Well, that's the thing. Like you said earlier, is it caters to everyone. The, the very, you know, beginner angler to the very experienced angler, if you want to get off the beaten path and try a new spot or all the different structure to the north or to the west, I mean, there's opportunities for everyone. There is. And, you know, and I'll, I'll just say this, too. In a nutshell, in Minnesota, you're out, you can get two lines. One line, you jig it. The other line, you dead stick it, putting a live minnow under a bobber with either a, an ice fishing jig or a plain hook. You know, that jigging line, because we're stained water, really kind of helps to have some kind of a, a noisemaker there. So, you know, when you're jigging a, a spoon, maybe you have a rattle in that spoon. Maybe you have a little spinner in the spoon. You know, a rapple, a rip and wrap, a cicada, um, you know, things that make a lot of noise to draw fish in. And, of course, what happens, I'm I know I'm preaching to the choir for you guys, but for people that don't fish Lake of the Woods, in that stained water especially, pull those fish in there. Get some noise going with jigging line. So what happens is the active fish are going to nail your jigging line. If they're not active, it still draws them in. And then a lot of times, if they're more in neutral mode, that's where they hit that live minnow that's six inches to a foot off the bottom just sitting there. Proofs in the bobble just start going down real slow. And I'll tell you, there, there's some days where you, you'll, you'll, you'll catch almost all your fish on a dead stick. That's just fine. Again, it's up to the walleyes. I, I don't. I don't care. I want the walleyes to tell me what they want, but I'm going to go both both approaches. And that's also where electronics come in so handy. Not only do you mark those suspended fish, if you're seeing a lot of fish going through and you're not catching, do something different. Change colors. Change presentation. Go from a rattle to no rattle. Downsize your base to a real small jigging spoon. Take our smallest minnow in the minnow bucket and take a little piece of the tail off and just hook that on a treble hook. Go micro. If you have a wax one, put that on. You know, try different things until you dial them in. It's like a puzzle. It's like a game, you know. You've got to find Absolutely. the answer, and it's a different answer every day, potentially. But that's the, yep. but that is the game, right? you got to figure it out. Yep. Awesome. Well, again, for our listeners, we're talking to Joe Henry Tourism for Lake of the Woods. And, you know, we mentioned it earlier, you know, the website, Lake of the Woods, to check out everything that they need to do. If they've got any extra questions, Joe, is there an easy way for them to get in contact with you guys? There's a option for them to message you? There sure is. So we have a very active Facebook page. So search Lake of the Woods Tourism uh, in Facebook. If you want to check out our website, also you can Google you know, Lake of the Woods Tourism. Otherwise, it's Lake of the Woods MN for Minnesota, Lake of the Woods MN.com. And then if you want to actually check out like current updates on the Northwest Angle Guest Ice Road we're talking about, you know, we got a, a real good, uh, or they have the, the Northwest Angle Resorters, they have a real good Facebook page and it's simply, uh, you, you know, Northwest Angle Guest Ice Road. It's uh, facebook.com backslash NWA Ice Road. Awesome. 
Well, for everyone that's listening, that was a great segment. Uh, thanks to Joe for joining us, talking a little about Lake of the Woods as a destination, all the opportunities that they have to offer up there. Again, thanks, Joe, for joining us. If you're listening, stick around. We'll be back with another short segment uh, in just a second. Welcome back to our second segment of Shack Talk podcast. In this segment, we're going to dive into another species-driven topic. We've covered a lot of different species so far this season, and we're going to dive into another one and really try and break down the ins and outs of yellow perch, or what we're all looking for is those big jumbo perch. And lucky for us, Kyle, we've got one of our fellow Eskimo brand ambassadors, on the phone, ready to talk perch. Um, he may have a love-hate relationship for perch, but uh, nonetheless, he uh, is somebody that fishes him a lot, and he gets to fish on one of those premier bodies of water for perch. What a lucky guy. He, this guy makes a living up on Devil's Lake, North Dakota, which, of course, Devil's Lake's a great fishery all around, but I think it really found itself in terms of uh, destination for winter fishing because of those perch. Absolutely. Those perch are the draw. They've got great walleye fishing. The pike fishing is, you know, pretty phenomenal as well. But something about those big jumbo perch gets people riled up. So with that, I'd like to welcome Dustin Larson to the podcast. How you doing, Dustin? Real good. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Um, yeah, about them perch, they are, yeah, love and hate relationship, exactly what you described. Uh, love meaning you can make or break your your whole day on 30 minutes or you can break your whole day with all day drill 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 and not even mark a fish i mean that's just the reality of what those yellow perch absolutely dustin for our listeners maybe just take a second talk a little bit about you know what you do obviously you're on the ice quite a bit um guide out in devil's lake but maybe just break it down for our anglers you know kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis and why you have such a love-hate relationship for those yellow perch so i've been guiding on devil's lake for 10 years next summer uh been ice guiding for probably i think roughly eight years and uh, a lot of failure a lot of learning the the lake is extremely vast you know 200,000 acres you know uh you have northern lakes north of highway two you have five lakes up there you have the main basin of devil's lake which is south of highway two and then you have you know an additional uh body of water that was new to me in the infancy stage of my guiding career uh 15,000 acres of uh, a stump lake so you have all this water and you try to establish where the best place to fish is the day before, which is, um, it's daunting, you know, especially for anglers that are coming out of state, it's really daunting. Um, it's daunting for me, you know, I don't lose sleep over it. You know, I've done it a long time and or long enough to where, you know, you kind of have your mind made up before you go to bed, but with that simple fact, you know, you can zag where you should zig and, zig where you should zag and you know people find bites before you and you know there's a lot of outfits or guide services on the lake and you got to try to make 
smart decisions for your next client and you never know when that next client's going to be a client that's going to be around for five years or this is a one-time deal or you know i've fished a lot of guys for seven years straight which is really a privilege for me i mean it's the best tip that i can get when they come back when they come back and and book another trip right and that's they you you know then you've earned their confidence you've earned their trust and uh Dustin, you, you, you paint a picture that's, uh, I love it for the podcast because it's dramatic, right? It's, it's, it's a hard job. It's tough. These fish uh, challenge you to the maximum. But I've got to believe you wouldn't have it any other way. No, that's, my passion is, uh, is perch. And I grew up walleye fishing. You know, we didn't catch anything growing up. But, you know, I played in the minnow bucket. I didn't play in the live well. I mean, that's the reality of what it was. I mean, we didn't catch anything. But with that simple fact, I mean, the challenge of, of perch, you know, I I had to learn it hard knocks. You know, nobody just said, this is, this is how you catch them. I mean, it was drill, 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 and fail, fail, fail. And so, and Dustin... As, as you look, you've obviously accumulated a great deal of wisdom chasing these perch around all winter long. But as as we look at them as a species, right, and, and we're looking at just kind of some of the things that we as anglers might want to ask of you in terms of questions and, and how these fish behave, they're a big target up there in the wintertime. But where do these fish go in the summer? What does their life cycle look like on a lake like Devil's Lake where we might better understand where they are at different phases during the year? Well, I think like right now, I'll talk here now, like right now, um, I think they're feeding in the mud and mud means uh, the old lake, the lake that, you know, before I was born or while I was in the infancy stages, uh, that's where they're at now or their old sloughs which has always been water you know there's always been water there and there's a lot of goodies in there it's muck mud and that ultimately what is housing all those um bugs uh bloodworms there's shrimp everywhere so you you can't exclude shrimp freshwater shrimp and devil's like that's what makes or breaks the whole outfit i mean the whole lake is every lake or every fish on the you know in the whole system is fed on freshwater shrimp at some point in their life they rely on it that's what makes this whole system work that and the spawning spawning is the higher uh, uh, water level I mean that's just what it is the higher water level there you know they're draining it now but and we'll see dividends down the road with that but with that said um the summer months it's tough and the reason why is it's blowing like crazy in north dakota and so you try to get a ultralight rod you try to fish in foot and a half two foot waves and the boats rock and well all of us have always you know if anybody fish perch sit in the shack and you're holding your rod tip so darn uh still try to detect that bite it's hard to do that in a boat i mean they're light biters um you know we accidentally catch them on crankbaits we accidentally catch them on spinner rigs with bottom bouncers and this and that and the other or slip bobbers but 
uh, it's hard to detect the bite. And I think that's part of the deal. The other deal is that me as a full-time guide on Devil's Lake, when I'm targeting walleyes, is I don't use the right equipment, the right tactic to catch fish with smaller mouths than a walleye. That's the biggest deal, I think. Um, they just can't get, you know, you get bites all the time. You're like, oh, there's perch in here, but I don't have the right outfit down there to catch them. And that's for somebody a lot that of is, problem. yeah, for somebody that is looking to target them, you know, in the open water season, where where do you typically target them? Because I know Devil's Lake, I know it's miles and miles of structure. So I mean, those fish could be anywhere. But anything that you would key on if you were maybe looking to target perch in the open water? Yeah, you know, I would start with, you know, if I have a good walleye bite here, what are the walleyes and pike feeding on? Or if I'm catching pike, or what what are what are they feeding on? Well, they're probably feeding on perch. They're they're probably feeding on the smaller bait fish. Well, I don't want to catch four inch perch, and that's probably what they're feeding on. But you know, as the years progress or the, the the year progresses, they they go from shallow to deep, just just like in the winter months, as a rule of thumb. It's not always the case, but it's a rule of thumb. And uh, weeds, cattails, I think those perch are there. We're just throwing too big of baits to catch them as a walleye fisherman. And uh, that's why the walleyes and pike are in there. That's why we're catching those. Um, so you always follow the bait, of course, and we can't know where the shrimp and we can't know where the bloodworms are by looking at a graph or a map. It's a trial and error deal, but um, I would start early. You know, the best bite I've had on Devil's Lake was in a back bay in nine and a half feet of water. I caught 45 of them one day on slip bobbers, and it was by accident. And I found them by pulling spinners, cut two 13-inch perch, which are nice. And uh, I said, do you guys want to gamble? We got our limiter walleyes already. It was 1030 in the morning, and we threw bobbers out and caught 45 of them. I mean, that was like seven years ago i haven't done it since um it's it's rare it, but it does happen the fall is probably your best bet on yellow perch in the summer i mean it just is you know they start schooling up and they start feeding better than they would in the middle or at the beginning of the summer that's just the reality what is it? they're bulking up just like the walleyes do you know you're pulling crankbaits and they're they're feeding on bigger stuff you know they're bulking up As you, you know, touched on a little bit then, so we, maybe they're bulking up, they're catching them in the fall, you know, good opportunity. Where do you target those fish then first ice? I know we talked a little bit about you're catching them out in the mud now, but where, where are you targeting first ice if you're looking for perch? Shallow. So I would fish like I would fish for walleyes. You know, the old shoreline is the best bet. So there's five old shorelines in Devil's Lake. Most people don't know that. The first one, the shallowest one, is actually probably out of the water for most parts of the lake. And every part of the lake is different. So the west end by Minnewaukan is super shallow. Uh, that's out of the water. Uh, you go to the east, you know, east end, the east Devil's Lake, that's almost out of water. I almost got my boat hung up on it uh, earlier this summer, this last summer. Um, and then you go out farther from that. So Contingent upon where you're at on the lake is the depth of that old shoreline that you want to target. So Minnewaukan, like the best one is probably like 12 to 15 feet. 
you go to East Devil's Lake, it's 20 to 23 feet. You go to East Bay, it's 20 to 23 feet, roughly, depending on where you're at on East Devil's Lake or East Bay. Um, uh, the main bay, there's an old shoreline that's roughly around 43 to 45 feet. You know, it's continued, you know, that's the diverse, um, that's the diversity of, of Devil's Lake is it just depends on what part of the lake. So you look on these threads on the internet and this and that and the other, and they're like, oh, target the old shoreline. What does that, what does that mean? Where are you at? But what an old, old shoreline consists of is rocks and gravel and this, that, and the other, but finding, you know, everybody knows that everybody has the technology or has the ability to get the technology. It's whether, you implement it correctly, and whether you find those idiosyncras idiosyncrasies that everybody else doesn't have, and that's that's where I play a big part in it. You know, in my position is I got to find those idiosyncrasies, and I have a little bit more time than most people to find them. So, are you talking about different um, different little variations in the structure, or in the fish and and their behavior? So when you're talking about finding these things that separate, yep. you know, how to get on a good bite versus not, is it something the fish are doing or is it something just in the lake that you're looking for? Uh, the structure. Yep. So it might be a house foundation. It might be, it might be riprap in front of an old house. It might be, uh, it might be flooded timber. Uh, that's not sticking out of the water that the lay person can't see. Um, it might be rocks that I found on my side scan when I was summer fishing, that it was just a fluke accident. Uh, and then I hit a waypoint and took a picture of it on my boat and dumped it on my, you know, graph in my snow bear. I mean, those are the little things, you know, the, nobody knows about it unless you drove over it. Uh, but I'm always paying attention in my boat. I mean, that, that, the, the things that I learn in the summer is going to pay great dividends in the winter. Because I can't troll like I can in my boat. Inside imaging with my hummingbird is like, <laughs> um, I don't know, it's priceless. It really is. I mean, that technology we have nowadays, it makes it almost unfair for fish. But with that said, it is really hard to do well consistently. And it baffles me that people come to Devil's Lake without a fishing guide, at least for the very first time, because it's that hard. It's really hard because you have so much water and it's so daunting and you can look at a map all you want. And, and, you know, what really is crazy is people come from all over the world or all over the United States and they come and they drop, they drill two holes and catch your limit of perch. It happens and it baffles me. They don't have a waypoint off the internet. They don't have any secondary information, but they do it. And it's great. You know, they had a great experience. But what happens is, is they come back the next year and expecting the same result. And it's it's really hard. They got lucky. Sometimes, I want to get lucky. Some, I want to get lucky once a week. <laughs> I want to get lucky just to build a morale. Sometimes you've got to be lucky, right? Dustin, let's just talk huh. a little bit about, um, you know, when, when you're out there targeting these fish to the ice. What kind of rigs? What kind of rod reel? What kind of line? What are you using for baits? What it, What's... Kind of run through your setup for that person listening to the podcast here who might be thinking, you know, I want to target perch on my local lake. What are, what are they going to want to have? Uh, so less than 25 feet, I start with 
a smaller buckshot with a minnow head. That is my favorite, um, 25 or less, because they have a different meal plan than the, the fish that's 25 or more. Um, those fish are going to be feeding on, every fish feeds on shrimp. There's shrimp everywhere. So just take that out of the equation. When they start getting into deeper water, um, or you got to pay attention to the bottom consistency. So I fish in 25 feet today. I had four clients out. We caught 47 perch and two walleyes and a white bass. Um, the reason why that white bass was in there is it's feeding on the same things as those perch, bloodworms. So bloodworms means the bottom consistency is mud. So get in the mud. So mud means different things, different parts of the lake. Or there's a slough or there's a depression that's in the middle of a stubble field that's flooded. That might be in 20 feet. So it's not contingent upon the depth of water. It has to do with the bottom consistency. And you can tell that on your Vexilar. You can tell that on mapping. You can just tell bulls, this, that, and the other. But if you get into that mud, you probably not always is the case, but you should go to probably larvae. So spikes are my favorite. I hate waxworms for the simple fact that there's no exoskeleton. So you get a bite if you miss the fish. Your bait's gone. So I use spikes. I put three, four spikes on there, load it up, drop it down on a tungsten. Tungsten in 50 feet is a nightmare. So I started adding weight on that line to get it down there faster. Because if you get a flurry, you get a pot of fish come in, I want to go up and down as fast as I can because that might only last for five minutes. Um, those are some variables that are very, very, very important because it might increase if you don't have any weight, might increase and you do have weight, you might increase your pail by 15 fish if you have two, three people in the snow bear. That's ginormous. That's a difference between an average and a really great day. <clears throat> so those are the things, you know, pencil weights are great. Uh, we use them a lot. You know, three years ago, we had a great bite in 50 feet of water and there's a bite still going on out there. I just haven't found it yet. But pencil weights are great, which is essentially a welding rod uh, and a, uh, a dropper rig. Um, but those are those are huge. But you have basically a huge weight dropping your small, subtle bait down to finicky perch in 50 feet of water. And they're feeding up bloodworms, shrimp, um, other bugs that maybe I don't even know about. But mud is kind of the key right now, and I've established that. And I don't care where you're at. There's bites going on on the old shoreline probably that I haven't discovered. There's bites in the brush that I haven't discovered. If you're in brush and, uh, you know, that old shoreline, like rocks. I mean, the minnows are in the rocks is kind of the deal too. Just like the walleye. So you get kind of the bonus. Get in the rocks, you're going to catch perch and walleyes. The mixed bag is a beautiful thing for a guide. Definitely. So we talked a little bit about, you know, using some of the like rattle baits or spoons in shallower with a, with a minnow head, you know, maybe downsizing if you're out in the mud, what type of rod and reel line, what are you running on your setups? What would you recommend for somebody if they were targeting perch? So my deal, in, so if you're in a heated shack or if you're in a snow bear, um, I like five pound power pro. It's just, it's just good. I've been using it for three, four years. It's great. Now, if you're a hole hopper and I try to talk my clients into like, here's the deal. If you really want to get them, 
we need to get out drill holes. I'll get on the auger. You just come behind me and just let's just get after it. Um, I think mono, something that doesn't soak up water is crucial because it's always freezing or 95% of the time you're in North Dakota, you're, it's freezing. Your line's freezing. So that braided line, um, that fused line soaks up so much water. It's just a battle. Um, tickle sticks, 13 fishing. Uh, I have, I don't know, six, eight, 10 of them in my snow bear. I mean, they're just good. I don't care if you're catching walleyes or if you're catching perch, you can see, you can uh, detect the bite, a light bite, which you're not going to feel a perch bite. 95% of the time, you're not going to feel it. You're going to detect the bite by watching your rod tip. And I coach clients. I've spent 45 minutes to an hour in my snow bear talking to them about detecting a bite because I just haven't been there. They haven't done it. They haven't failed like I have. So take that failure out, coach them, teach them. This is what you see. This is what you're going to look for. I want you to win. So that's kind of the deal. Um, a medium light 27 inch tickle stick is pretty tough to beat in a snow bear. If you're hole hopping, it's great. Eyelets are small, which is a little issue outside hole hopping. Um, but uh, I don't run much fluorocarbon or monofilament just because of the stretch and fluorocarbon doesn't, fluorocarbon doesn't have much stretch, but I just don't do it. I can't hardly give a novice an inline or reel because it's just a backlash nightmare. <clears throat> so I've learned that. Um, but that type of stuff is, is kind of what I run with that. And you just coach them too. You know, you got a lot of ice on your line. Take it off every three, four minutes because it's been cold. And they do that and they listen and pay attention for the most part. And ultimately I coach them to succeed. I want to win too. So Dustin, to... you're, uh, you're yep. spending a whole lot of your day as an educator, right? And I think that's, uh, we could do a whole segment just on the, on the life of, uh, of a fishing guide and, and really what your role is, but, but it's a big part of it is teaching, right? You're teaching people how to be successful. Yeah. And in a game like yellow perch, where it can be, it can be feast or famine. It can be challenging. And those small little details make the difference between, like you said, an average day and a really good day to yes. be able to communicate and teach those folks. Those things is a, uh, is a big part of what you do. We really appreciate you sharing a lot of, and, and all of this wisdom that you've gained over the years, chasing these fish around. If our listeners, if they want to get a hold of you, and maybe that is to, uh, to book a day on the ice with you on the water during the open water season, if they want to, you know, pick your brain, ask you some questions about the best time of the year to come up there. How can folks either find you, follow you, or get connected? Yes. Uh, Dustin Larson, uh, we have Bry's Guide Service, so I'm affiliated with Bry's Guide Service 100%. Uh, Mark Bry owns the outfit. Um, uh, my number is 701-303-0213. Um, his number is 701 seven six nine zero one six one um he's basically he books my trips he uh gets my schedule going i get a contact the day before i reach out to you uh we have lodging and um uh, uh 
we basically provide our, our you know transportation everything you need to go fishing bring a lunch have a license you know uh it's 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 just a really good time it's an absolute privilege to be out fishing i just told one of my colleagues today i said boy am i lucky i just just show people a good time and uh the people i get to meet is 98.9 percent of the people i get to meet is just an absolute blast to be with um and that that's a privilege for me i mean to be able to get excited to go to work is something special it really is that is super cool and and Again, Dustin Larson, Bry's Guide Service, Devil's Lake, North Dakota. You are fortunate enough to to work, to fish, to be able to make a living on one of the premier perch fisheries in North America. There's no question about it. Dustin, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And uh, we appreciate, again, sharing all that great knowledge. You're very welcome, gentlemen. And uh, I hope to see you on the ice. We hope Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. That will be fantastic. Folks, that wraps up this second segment of the podcast today. We're going to take a really quick break, and we're going to be back after that break with a conversation in our social fish and sing segment with Mr. Eric Labupa of Winnipeg, Manitoba. We're going to be talking all things fishing with him right when we get back with more Shack Talk. Welcome back to our third and final segment of Shack Talk. And uh, this, of course, is our social fish dancing segment where we are going to just open things up. We are going to talk ice fishing. We're going to talk kind of just a broad swath of topics here and, and see where the conversation takes us. Anthony, it's really exciting to welcome our guest for this segment here in, in our uh, podcast this week. Uh, we are welcoming Eric Labupa of uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. So uh, we've got a friend here north of the border that's uh, that's going to spend a little time with us. How you doing, Eric? How's it going, guys? Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me, Eric. We're missing we're missing all of our friends to the north. <laughs> missing you guys too, man. I'm telling you, I, I just I can't wait till uh, we're going to do everything virtually here, man. But I can't wait till we can be together on the ice again. It's going to happen. It's going to happen sooner or later. I hope it's sooner, but we'll just let. Uh, let the experts make those decisions. And as soon as they open the gates, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be first in line. <laughs> so Eric, you are, you are part of the uh, Canadian Eskimo pro team up there. You, you do a lot of work promoting, not just the brand, but you do a lot of work promoting the sport of ice fishing, which I think is for many of us, the bigger picture view of things. Um, you have, uh, you've been involved kind of on a, on a professional level for a number of years. You, you also fish, uh, tournaments around the province, and um, you are one of the hosts of the Casting Deck podcast, something that uh, I tune into as often as I can. You guys are a, are a blast to watch, a lot of fun <laughs> and entertaining. Tell our listeners maybe just a little bit more about who you are, how you got into to the outdoors and ice fishing, and uh, just give them a chance to get to know you more. Yeah, I've, I've been fishing Pretty much as long as I can remember, before I could walk, my dad was already taking me fishing and stuff. Ice fishing, well, it's, it's been a long time now. I always say I'm relatively new to the sport, but it was about the early 2000s when I got into it. Usually winter was uh, a time was just cleaning your lures and, and waiting till May opener kind of thing. But I discovered ice fishing there. Some friends introduced me to it, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. And 
some it goes up and down. Sometimes I like ice fishing better. Sometimes I like open water better. But I like fishing. Period. And uh, I just love promoting the sport. I, I want everyone to take it up. Uh, with this uh, all COVID going on and stuff, there's so many new people to the sport. And uh, there, there's there's two sides to it. Some people don't like it. Some people love it, kind of thing. I'm on the side of, come on in. It's 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 fantastic. Uh, come, come join us. There's lots of water, especially up here. There's endless water up here to to go hit or whatever. The more <laughs> the merrier, uh, right? Lots of fish too. Yeah, come on in. Like I mean, I, I love I love fishing. I'm a promoter of it. I get very excited. Uh, we could be talking about all other kinds of stuff, and I'm a very boring guy. But when it comes to fishing, let's go, giddy up, man. I want to talk fishing for for an hour. Not not a problem. You, um, speaking of wanting everybody to fish, you live that, right? You live that because, um, obviously the border's closed. I haven't been up there and been able to, to see you or any of the other folks up in Manitoba or, or Canada. Um, but you, I, I just following you on social media, your whole family goes out on the ice, right? You've got kids out there. You've got your wife, you've got the whole group. And, uh, it's not just something where you leave everybody at home. No, not at all. That, uh, it, you you can turn people off on the sport really quick. I mean, a lot of people we've experienced that we make mistakes or whatnot, like you could really turn people off. Uh, so I've learned in the past, because I've turned people off on the sport as well in the, in my travels and in my time, but uh, with my kids and, and my wife and, and, I, and, and lots of friends, I've sort of learned how to make it enjoyable kind of thing. So it's not all about uh, just catching fish per se, it's being outside and stuff. And they love it. Oh man, like I, sometimes I, I do want to leave them like just, just stay home. It's just me and the guys this trip or whatever, but I get stowaways. You know, my daughter's stowed away in my truck on trips and we're halfway up, like we're five hours north of Winnipeg kind of thing. And I find out she's in the truck kind of thing. So uh, she joined us for four days up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, like they love it. My wife was competing on the weekend there on her own team, an all-female team with a good friend of ours, Val. And uh, yeah, they did well kind of thing. So why not, man? My son's always asking to go ice fishing. He always wants to go to the stores. doesn't matter what fishing store. Like, I don't know. I'm not forcing it on them or nothing, but uh, we, we make it fun. So winters are long. You got to do something over here in the wintertime. Yeah, you definitely don't want to force it on them, but it definitely, from what we've seen, I mean, even your little guy, the littlest one, I mean, every time I see a photo of him, he's carrying a fishing rod or doing something <laughs> out on the ice, and it, it sure makes it uh, exciting to be able to get the family involved. Any tips for our listeners on, you know, real simple keys to kind of keep kids interested when they're heading out on the ice? Uh, the biggest thing is not having a, a set time. Your trip could be 15 minutes long with as much as we hate to just get out there and leave after 15 minutes, or it could be all day kind of thing. That's the biggest thing. Cause once, uh, once they're forced to stay there, it doesn't matter if it's a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, or if it's your mom or, or your two-year-old son, like I have, if uh, once you have that, that, that limit where you pass that, that little point where they don't want to be there no more, then uh, that, that's, that's when they start to, to sort of hate it kind of thing. So we've had it. We've had half hour trips. I mean, it is what it is and they're done kind of thing. And you try and extend it a little bit with, uh, you know, oh, check this out. Oh, we're making a fire now, or, you know, we're making snowballs or a snow fort, stuff like that, you know, different things. We bring up toboggans with us and stuff, but then eventually once they catch a fish and then that there's no way to get someone hooked by just getting them on a fish. It doesn't matter if it's a little perch, a crappie, big walleye. Once they catch one and they reel it up on their own, like I have the tendency to want to grab the rod, you know, like I'll help you. I'll make sure it gets out, you know, but you just got to let them do their thing. If they, if they lose it, they fight it wrong, whatever it is, you know, like we don't take it too seriously, but I found that that works. It really does. And well, then like, if they say, well, we want to go home, dad. All right, well, well, we'll go home. Give me, give me 10 more minutes and one last cast kind of thing. And uh, usually it works out and now they're hooked on it. So I can get them out there for a whole weekend, a weekend at a time kind of thing. 
you know, the, the golden rules, right? With kids, don't let them get cold. Don't let them get hungry. Don't let them get bored. And when you're catching fish, that, that just kind of goes out the window, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not bored and, and you can't forget about being hungry or cold. So you're, you're right there. The key is if you can keep them busy. Oh yeah. Biggest complaint now is that I take too many pictures. So <laughs> Stop. I, I tell them you got to leave the tablets at home. And then they tell me, will you leave your phone at home then? Well, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's okay. Cause I know Eric, a lot of those pictures you've been taking have made their way down to Anthony and I, and, and also made, made their way onto uh, the ION and social and, and Eskimo social media pages, which is really kind of fun. It's good to, to have a, a, a selection of different people, different backdrops, different venues and locations, you know, families and, and individuals and the whole work. So I think it's really fun to see those photos. Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. A lot of the stuff when I'm when I'm throwing stuff out there is like your photos and stuff. I just want to show people, trying to set the example, eh? you know, like some people think, oh, I've got a, a friend of mine. I go, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a little one now, so I guess I'm done for about 10 years. What are you talking about? You know, my my... All my kids were in, in, in diapers, six months old, hitting the ice or hitting the boat kind of thing. I mean, that should, don't let that stop you from enjoying the outdoors. It doesn't have to be fishing. Like I said, you go snowboarding or s- snowshoeing, whatever you want to do, just uh, be active. It's better than being huddled up at home, tell you that much. Yeah, we've all had plenty of time being huddled up at home. I, oh. I can attest to getting out. I mean, we introduced my kids to ice skating this year, and, you know, we're always taking the sleds out and having fun outside. So I think that's a really good takeaway, too, you know, for people listening. You know, if your kids aren't into fishing, just get them outdoors. I mean, that's kind of what we're all about is promoting the outdoors. I mean, we all love all the outdoor activities, and it's just so much more enjoyable. You know, kids are going to remember their – their day out doing something more than they're going to remember their day, just sitting at home. Definitely. So you touched on that, Anthony, actually, I don't know how the ice froze down there, but up here it froze so nice this year that you bring a shovel or a snowblower with you. You can make some pretty wicked ice rinks and skating tracks right now. So up here, everyone's bringing skates with them and stuff because uh, everything's smooth. It's, 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 it's gorgeous out there. It's beautiful. And you know, that's when you throw up that outbreak portable hub house. And you throw a heater in it and you leave that door flap open and the kids can skate in and out and warm their hands and then go back and skate some more and back and forth. Um, I know they're made for fishing, but they work pretty cool for a warming house too on the skating <laughs> rink. Plus for dragging wagons and like we have a wagon when we bring the kids, we're always like coolers and food and you name it. I tell you that door is, 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 is a game changer. We use game changer a lot, but that's a game changer. You could bring things in and out and not a problem. I tell you, I don't, I don't trip over these doors anymore. <laughs> Eric, you talked a little bit about um, how your wife competed in a uh, all-female team with Val. Um, share just a little bit about what that event was like, because uh, I know there's folks listening who may not be familiar with with what particular event you were talking about, but you had a pretty neat, you've had two of them so far out of, uh, you were just saying before we went on the air here, out of three. Um, but just talk a little bit about those KWT events. It's a uh, brand new for this year. They they had it in the open water there, the Keystone Walleye Tour. So we couldn't have our regular tournaments, uh, no gatherings and stuff like that. So this sort of came about uh, catch photo release kind of events, which have been around. I know the AIM series in the in the states there. That's a sort of similar kind of conversion chart that they were using. So they decided to do a winter one. There's three events and a championship, and it's it's fantastic. It's it's cool. Like I've competed in a lot of derbies. I've helped run derbies. Like. 
ice derbies, you know, like, you know, like you got your, your Brainerd ones where just a million people on the ice and stuff, which is sort of different. This is more like uh, very similar to NAIFC kind of stuff where you're a, it's a two person team and uh, whatever boundaries or lakes that's set forth, that's where you go and you give her kind of thing and go, go catch. Uh, in this case, it's five walleye. So we got the Greenback Wall in Lake Winnipeg. Uh, these events are all in Lake Winnipeg. Uh, a lot of your listeners are familiar with that. And now you're fishing for your five biggest each day. So it's 10 in total because it's a two-day tournament. You can upgrade. You can call. So what you do is uh, you catch a fish. Everyone's got the same judge bump board. You take the photo, take the hero shot, send it in. And they got a running live leaderboard. Like these guys, uh, their names are James Hebert and Alex Penner, the KWT, Keystone Walleye Tour. If you haven't uh, heard about it, uh, they're on Facebook. Uh, KWT, type that in there. And it's, it's awesome. You can watch from anywhere in the world and you'll see the leaderboard. And fortunately this last one, our name was sort of up there in the top 10 the whole time there. But uh, the one before that, we didn't, we didn't have too much luck. We were fishing the wrong area. We weren't catching many fish, but it's fantastic. Fishing in a tournament in the winter time for greenback walleye, it's something else. And uh, I'll be doing all of them. I hopefully we make the championship and we'll be doing it again. Good luck in the, the next coming events, Eric. That sounds like an absolute blast. You mentioned something else uh, before we started recording here. You said that you and your partner are, I don't know if, if you, I mean, virtually tethered together, so you have to say, stay within a certain distance of one another. Talk a little bit about that. Like, how do they track that? Is it on your honor? Or are there things that they do to make sure you're complying with that rule? Yeah, what Kyle's talking about there is we're, there's a 100-foot rule. Uh, to be within your uh, distance between your partner and then other teams and just other anglers in general, you have to be uh, 50 feet away from other people kind of thing or a hundred feet, whatever it is. We, main, we maintain our distance anyway from other, uh, that's to prevent any kind of, you know, collusion and stuff like that. Uh, as far as uh, enforcing that, they have scouts out there, snowmobiles zipping around and quads all over the place and uh, the people just checking up. And we, there, there's, there's uh, they also have cameras on them. They're doing live reports on the ice. So hey, we, we've caught up here with Eric Labopa. What's going on? I'm I've still have no fish. You know, you shouldn't be following me, kind of thing or whatever. And you're just giving little updates during the day. So it's it's cool. It's 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 a fantastic competition. And the whole lake is open to you. You can go anywhere you want. So if you're on fish somewhere, so like the whole practicing aspect comes into play again. So guys were out there two days before trying to find a nice pot of fish, you know, and come Saturday morning, they're right on top of them, you know, and. And you got guys, schmucks like me that got to work Monday to Friday that uh, we just go, it's a guessing game come Saturday morning. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we land on top of them. And it's Lake Winnipeg, though. Anytime you drop a line, it doesn't matter be. where you're at. You can pull a 30 out. And we, we did pull out uh, my partner, Carlo, there. Uh, caught a 31 and a – it was 31 on the dot is what wow. it was. And at 12.57 on the conversion chart. So that that, that was big fish a day, too. And that, uh, that pushed us up to sixth place, which was uh, – oh, my, you imagine how excited we were there. I can, one, I can only imagine. imagine having fished with Carlo, how excited Carlo oh, was. <laughs> the whole lake could hear us. <laughs> yeah. There was no being secret spots there. Everyone knew where we were when we caught that fish. <laughs> and sound travels on that lake. Like, I guess you guys know you fished up there or whatever, oh, yeah. but people like two miles away, you can hear them like trying to whisper and you can hear everything that people are talking, especially if the wind's blowing the right way. So <laughs> we're trying to listen all the time, you know, going, oh, 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 someone just caught a fish over there. They can't hide from us. And we got zipping over. <laughs> All the strategies of the tournaments, right? All of oh, the, yeah, yeah. all of the uh, kind of give it your best shot and try and come out on top, sort of thing. And like you said, to do that on the ice, that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, I, I can't wait. You guys can come back. I'm sure they'll be doing this again, and maybe you guys can compete in some of them. I think it'd be fantastic. We'll have that Canada versus U.S. kind of thing going, and uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome. Yes, it would. I uh, 
I can't wait. Oh, we yeah. talked a little bit about just, you know, all the new people getting into the sport. And, you know, I know obviously tourism is a big uh, attraction for everyone up in, up in Canada and the Manitoba. Talk a little bit about that. I know in the U.S., uh, you know, we saw a big influx of people just staying local and hitting up some of the tourism there. What's uh, What are the impacts like in, uh, in Manitoba there? Uh, the numbers have sort of like new people to the sport, like locally have sort of made up for, uh, uh, the drop in visitors, of course. So we can't imagine if we had visitors then it'd be even insane. It'd be insane out here, but, uh, no, we definitely have noticed it. That's for sure. I mean, there's, uh, spots on the lake where, oh, normally I guess there's Americans over here. Where's the Americans? We'll follow them. Cause they know where all the fish are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like it's empty spots or whatever, you know, like a lot of us locals are just hanging out to the easier access kind of places or whatever, but yeah, we've definitely noticed it. Any all the other lakes, you know, like like lodges and guides, and everyone's having a hard time, just like all kind of other industries and stuff. And hopefully, it all comes back to normal, at least closer to normal uh, soon, because uh, we've definitely felt it, and we we miss our American friends for sure coming up here, one hundred percent. You know, I've I've said it too many times to count, Eric, but honestly, I, I the fishing up there is incredible. But it truly is to be able to see the the friendly faces and and you know um, the 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 group we take up here from the Fargo Moorhead area the the FM Walleye Club that comes up and meets up with the Wham Club and and a bunch of others and you know obviously we can't do that now we can't put two hundred fifty three hundred people in a in a room but it's those those moments, those memories, those things where you're, you're hanging out and, and telling the fish stories and talking about what you saw it on the lake and, and doing that Can-Am challenge, the Canadians versus the American, you know, just the fun stuff like that. That's really what, what we end up missing the most. Uh, and that's really, I think, a lot of what the outdoors are about, right? I know there's a lot of new people involved, but I think a lot of the draw isn't that those new people want to catch a 30 inch walleye and nobody's going to argue if you do, right. That's what that's right. But I think really it's, it's the opportunity when we can't go to concerts, we can't, we can't go to sporting events. You know, we really can't have that gathering, but we can still be outdoors and, uh, and connecting with people. It's that camaraderie for sure that uh, it's missing. That's why these events on the, these KWT ones that just happened, we've just, that's the closest we've come to having that kind of, doc talk kind of feel you know just hanging out and stuff it's so the little bit that we could and then all of a sudden there's too many of us gathering oh everybody spread apart you oh great you know they killed it again for us you know covid police came and killed it they killed our fun but you know like that's the closest we've come everything's virtual now so that helps a little bit right i mean you have zoom and phones and stuff but it's not the same of course not it's the not same. the same at all no no definitely not the same and i think to your point kyle too i mean just being able to spend time with, you know, your close friends that you fish with. Like I've got friends that, you know, we probably don't spend as much time out in the, on the water in the summer, but winter time, it's always one of those things like, Hey, let's get together for a trip. And, you know, I think we're really all missing being able to meet up with friends or family and, and have that interaction. And hopefully, like you said, once this all settles down, there'll be just a huge influx of people taking fishing trips. Oh yeah. Definitely so. <laughs> All right, Eric. We always um, we always ask our guests a couple of questions, and so we're going to put you on the hot seat here and ask a couple of questions of you. And I'm almost feeling, Anthony. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I almost think we kind of have to erase Lake Winnipeg off of this first question because uh, <laughs> otherwise it's going to be way too easy. 
<laughs> um, so outside of Lake Winnipeg, what is your favorite body of water to ice fish? No, that would be Lake of the Woods. Lake of the Woods on the Ontario side, for sure. Northwest Ontario, I, I like to target Lake Trout. So Lake Trout season starts there January 1st, and uh, I haven't been able to go. They sort of closed the border on us there too, where we can't go, or I can go, but I have to come back in quarantine for 14 days. So I don't, I, I'm close. I'm, I'm debating it. I might be worth it because <laughs> I need to get a Lake Trout uh, topside in, in a hurry here. So, But that would be the place in a heartbeat, targeting Lake Trout on Lake of the Woods. Love it. What's your personal best lake trout? That is 40 inches on the dot. Wow. 40 inches. That was, that was up north on, uh, on Clearwater Lake near uh, the Paw. Uh, open water, not through the ice. Through the ice, I pulled out a uh, 36 or so. Something like that, yeah. Oh, but it doesn't pass the 40, so I don't even care. Nothing, if it doesn't pass 40, then it's useless to me. Well, 38 is a master angler, right? 38 is a master up there. No, it's 34 actually. 34. 34 okay. The trophy lake trout. Yeah. But like, like realistically people aim for that 40, that 40 is the benchmark for a, a true giant for those. Yeah. Lake of the woods doesn't even really have them so much. A 38 would be an absolute giant on Lake of the woods, but it's uh, proximity to home. I mean, it's a couple hours away to go target lake trout. Oh man. I love that. I love that stuff. That's very, very cool. Um, coming from a guy who's never had the opportunity to catch a lake trout, I'm, I'm quite jealous. I'm not going to lie. Oh. <laughs> you got to do it. Oh, man, you got to do it. You got to cross that off your list there, Kyle. Oh, my God. Anthony, have you gone after lake trout at all? Yeah, I've been up there. We went up to uh, Athapap once uh, with the Fish Addictions crew, so got after oh, them. Right. Never got into, never got to tangle with a giant, but, you know, caught a handful when we were up there. But definitely have another uh, bone to pick with those lake trout up there. I know there's some giants up there, and, and I got to see one get caught, but definitely want to hook into one myself. So That is that is the lake, though. Lake Athapap you mentioned is the lake. If uh, a Manitoba record is going to come out, it, it's swimming in that lake right there. That, yeah, that is the place to go for. There's it. some giants up there. You know, I keep an eye on what those guys are doing up there through the winter and open water, and they just keep pulling out giants. And it just makes me so envious because I want to get back up there sometimes. So <laughs> just trying to trying to bide my time. I, you know, waiting like everybody else, like Kyle said, we'll be the first ones at the border once it's open. <laughs> I'll be there waiting for you. We'll go up there for sure. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. It was almost to the point, Eric, where I, I heard from somebody – that they said that you could fly into Winnipeg. You couldn't drive across the border, but you could fly into Winnipeg. And I don't know okay. if that's true or not, but it was enough for me to start my wheels turning. Like, <laughs> do I have enough buddies up there that would take me if I just showed up at the airport? You'd have lots of guys who'd be willing to take you. We'll pick you up at the airport for sure. You just call. No problem. <laughs> well, and like Eric said, I was contemplating the whole like self-quarantine before and after. Like, it'd probably be worth it just to come up there, so... Probably. I think so. <laughs> All sorts of good stuff. Um, one more thing I got to ask, Eric, just just because we're not there this winter and, you know, both Anthony and I, it's it's eating us from the inside out here. But tell us a little bit about the bite out on Winnipeg this winter. Um, is it a shallow bite? Is it a deep bite? Is it a is it a sit on top of them? Do you got to run and gun? Well, the bite's been pretty good lately kind of thing. I mean, it's uh, they follow the usual pattern early in the year. You got that nice shallow bite and people are still getting shallow. When I say that, it's like you're talking like four, five, six, seven, eight feet under the ice. Uh, typically when it gets cold in the depths of winter, and we've been spoiled 
you guys too. December, January has been so mild, but uh, it's getting cold now. But uh, they, they're pushing out now to some of the deeper. And we say that if you're talking 14, 15, 16, 17 foot kind of areas or whatever. But the fish are everywhere. There's some people not catching them. And then you see giants. Other people are catching giants. So there is an element of, like, as usual, got to go find the find some active schools. But uh, I don't know if it's just less 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 anglers out there targeting or not, but there's a lot of big fish, like, coming out again kind of thing. I mean, there's, there's oh, my God, it's every day you just see these people just showing up big pictures and stuff like that. And like I said, it's like if, 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 if I can catch a, a big one, my wife can catch a big one, anyone can catch a big one out there kind of thing. So I, I tell you right now, they're biting. They're biting. It seems like just like a normal kind of year. Not, not less, not more kind of thing. You know, it's, 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 it's fantastic out there. Awesome. That's, that's not the answer that I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that it was a real, real horrible bite and we're not missing out on anything. You're missing out. I'll tell you right now. And they're hitting anything. You name it, man. It doesn't matter what you're dropping down and they're slamming it. They're absolutely like inhaling these things. So you're completely missing out. Oh, just stick a knife in it, right? <laughs> I tell you what, I just today was in my deep freeze and came across a tub, couple of tubs of frozen Salt, you know, salties, salted. Oh, you did. <laughs> they were from last year on our first trip. I brought them home knowing we were coming back and we never did make it back up there before the border closed. And uh, I did finally toss them out today. I'm like, well, you know, I'll just get new next time when it, when I do have the chance, but it sure had me thinking. Oh man, they would, they would still work. That's a Manitoba staple here. You drop that on a plain old jig. Oh my God. That's all you need. That's all you need. Just drop it down. <laughs> you guys know all this fancy uh, stuff. I, the fancy stuff has been working to be honest with you. It's, like some big spoons, big spoons is sort of the ticket this year. You know, every year is sort of a little bit of something different. You know, you tweak it. Uh, the big spoons have been good for a while, and that's what it is. Even more so than rattle baits, I think people are on the big spoon kind of bite. And then when they're off, small spoons, surprisingly small, tip with a little salty on there. Bam! Rip the rod out of your hands. You're gonna be excited again. I'm gonna have to head out there again. Right now. <laughs> Getting me worked up here. I want to go catch another walleye, man. Well, Eric, I, uh, you know, I just want to thank you. It's great to hear from you. I know we visited a couple of times this winter now virtually, and, you know, we try to reach out to all of our uh, friends north of the border, but uh, really appreciate people uh, or you tuning in to be able to share with us what's going on up there. If anybody has any questions for you, um, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, reach out to me. I get questions every day, literally every day about you name it kind of thing. Uh, find me on Facebook, Eric Lavolpa, or on Instagram, Eric on the Red. Just reach out, DM, private message. Not a problem at all. I'll get back to you. Awesome. Well, thanks, Eric. Um, again, if anybody has any questions for Eric, reach out. Kyle or myself, more than happy to answer your questions. I uh, want to thank Eskimo for sponsoring the podcast and giving us the opportunity to share and help the sport grow and, you know, obviously give some more information to all those new anglers out there. So until next time, you guys, be safe, distance socially, and uh, get out ice fishing. Bye.